I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rights Podcast. My name is Preston Ellis, and I am the host and producer for the new home to all things Pelicans on Dash Radio, your new one-stop shop for everything you boogie and brow fanatics need. Now, if you like what you're hearing, follow us on Twitter at The Bird Rights, read our source material at TheBirdRights.com, and most importantly, throw yourself over to iTunes and download every available podcast by searching The Bird Rights colon NBA Podcast. Subscribe today and find pregame analysis from opposing experts, recaps, rumors, breaking news, and all of the best analysis. What's up, Pels fans? That didn't take long. We are back for a very special Golden State Warriors preview with the OGs. We've got Kevin Berrios with us. I don't think... I'm Scott Trout. CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Ali is joining us, but let's move right along to our special guest. You know what, Kevin? You brought him on. Why don't, why don't you do the honors? Please shower with praise and introduce our esteemed guest. Sure. Um, back in the early 90s, I, you know, I was really heavily into punk rock music, which I still am. Um, but Mike Park was a guy in a band called Skank and Pickle, and he ran a label called Bill Records, which was really cool. They came through New Orleans a couple of times, had to see them play, and I got in, heavily involved in booking uh, punk rock shows here in New Orleans. And uh, so I booked a few bands on his label, and... Uh, I even wrote to him a couple of times to try to get some advice about starting a record label on my own, which sort of happened a little bit here and there. But um, he later on went on to uh, start another label called Asian Man Records. He, you know, I guess, Mike, uh, real quick, before I continue on your preview, would you say your biggest achievement would be, uh, and on that label, the biggest band that people would know would probably be the Alkaline Trio? Yes, I think that would be the band. Alkaline Trio, or perhaps Less Than Jake, we put out their first record. So that covers right. two genres. You have the punk and the ska. Yeah, so um, those are two punk. I mean, the, the both labels uh, focus heavily on punk, ska, and reggae, and there was always sort of, uh, you know, a very political and social conscious movement involved in most of the albums that Mike put out, and he even did a lot of, like, you know, compilations that were fundraisers for organizations and uh, tours built around, you know, fighting racism and, and things like that. Um, he's very active in those kind of communities, very helpful guy to young bands and young labels and uh, clubs and stuff like that. He's always been very helpful. And, um, you know, we kind of got to know each other through mutual friends early on back in the day. And then 
there's a local label in New Orleans called Community Records um, that's owned by my friend Greg and D. Ray. And Greg actually interned uh, under Mike at Asian Man Records when he was studying music business at um, Loyola. And uh, they brought him down to uh, play a block party that they were having. And we met up and I interviewed him back in 2013. And that sort of uh, re-sparked our, you know, maybe I guess took it to the next level our friendship and we hung out a few times since then whenever he comes into town he's a really big basketball fan so we go uh I take him to a lot of Pelicans games we even got on uh the radio broadcast once when we went to a game they invited us to go uh watch those guys do the thing called the game that was pretty cool um but yeah Mike's you know heavily involved in the music business been there for a while very active in uh social justice and that and he's just a great dude that's really into basketball. Welcome to the program, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Like I've I've always told my friends, if there's one thing I would I could trade in, I would rather be the twelfth man on the worst NBA team than play music. That's how much I love basketball. I Get would give up here. the music to be the twelfth man. That'd be the best best job. All right, you, know, you guys are very tall too. What, how tall are you? What, six five? Oh, six one. Six one? I don't know. You seem to tower over me, and I'm like six foot. So <laughs> maybe it's just that a, a psychological towering over of you. <laughs> you guys can follow him at Mike Park Music and follow his label Asian Man Records at Asian Man Records. Before we get into some of the stuff that Kevin was talking about, Mike, uh, I just before we get to know a little bit more about you and some of the wonderful things you're involved, to talk a bit about the the Golden State Warriors from an atmospheric perspective. When I when I think of the Warriors, I don't know them very well pre Curry. I think of like the disastrous Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale trade that you know led to all those Boston Celtics titles. I think of Chris Webber's like unremarkable one and done there. Chris Mullen before the the NBA Dream Team in '92. And mostly when I think of them, I think of the 2007 eight-seeded upset over Dallas with the the Don Nelson having been removed from Dallas and leading his guys in a, a six-game upset. And then you've got guys like Monte Ellis, Latrell Sprewell, and uh, Jason Richardson. How does it feel now being a fan of one of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA? Um, it, to be honest, when they got Kevin Durant, everything was kind of deflated for me because I've always loved them because they've been the worst team and the underdog. And when they won that first title, that was mostly homegrown talent. If you look at Clay, Steph, um, Clay, Steph, uh, Draymond, and even like Bogut was a result of the Monte trade. So I was like, ah, he's kind of like homegrown. When they got Durant, it was hard to root for them because they were so good. Um, obviously, the culture is great. Everyone loves them. You drive, I mean, the Bay Area is huge. We're looking at, you've got San Francisco, you're covering San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, um, North Bay, past the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a, obviously a lot of people live here, but it's Warriors. Everyone loves the Warriors. Um, and I, I love them too. They're still my team, but man, they're so stacked, it's almost unfair. 
Wow, that's hard coming from you. <laughs> I was I was thinking, you know, even though it, it, it kind of feels nice to be the bully, does it feel nice to know that like everybody's talking about how they can't stack up with your team? And we were talking off air a little bit and, and it is really fun. Um, for like the everyday man, like I live in Orlando myself, it's really easy to access tickets and to go and see my favorite team whenever I want to, or to go to see the New Orleans Pelicans. Tickets are always readily available uh, whenever I'm in town. And now that you do have this this superstar type team, you see all these celebrities uh, mid court. You know, you you see these these stacked uh, seats. You're up in the nosebleed section. You're surrounded by all these, you know. I don't know, upper echelon of, of people who are paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars to come in and see these games. Uh, so you're saying that you prefer being like part of the everyman team or or I guess I guess break down for us how it felt when when you started getting Steph Curry and he and he blew out his ankle and then Clay Thompson and then Draymond Green and it all started coming together. Did you realize something special was happening? I did, even when they lost in that first round of Mark Jackson's last year when they lost in seven in that first round against the Clippers. It's a good team. And I felt they could have won that. Bogut didn't get hurt. I felt like they would have won that series. Um, they were all, this is, this is Draymond's second year. Um, I think it was Clay's, did Clay come in the same year as Draymond? It was Clay's second or third year. They're all kind of starting to come into their own. And then it was very exciting because they're still this upcoming team and like, okay, it's finally, finally happening. So you got to realize they've made the playoffs once that, that we believe team, like the first time they made the playoffs and, how many years? <laughs> like such a long time. So the the idea of them making the playoffs a couple of years in a row is kind of like okay, this is kind of cool. And then obviously the next year when they let Mark Jackson go and Steve Kerr came in and they they won that first title, that was awesome. And and I and then even to the finals, like when Cleveland was when everyone got injured, that that uh, underdog part of me, I was I still didn't feel bad for them because I hated LeBron so much. So that was great. And then the second, the second title run where they lost uh, to Cleveland in seven, heartbreaking. Yeah, so uh, we, we just said how exciting it was uh, for, for that team with Steph Curry and Draymond in his second year and then the second year of the championship run. And then how you're kind of like disenchanted with the notion of Kevin Durant joining like already your team that's, you know, going toe-to-toe with Cleveland every year. So talk about your history with Golden State you said you you kind of didn't like uh, being this team that everybody's kind of, I don't know, shaking their heads at. We routinely see Charles Barkley on TNT saying like, man, I wish these guys wouldn't like get up together and like take on the rest of the league. And Michael Jordan saying that, uh, you know, it's bad for the rest of the league. Talk about your history with the Warriors. What's your favorite Golden State team that you've ever I, rooted for? So I start, when I first started, I'm, I'm almost 48. I'll be 48 next month. So I started watching the Warriors when they're first, title run with Rick Barry. I was very young, but I remember it clearly. And then shortly after they had an owner named Franklin Muley, it was a horrible owner. It's kind of basically sold off his team. So they went from championship team to just terrible. And that's when you had, that's when Rob, Rob and shortly after you had the Robert Parrish trade uh, to Boston, where they traded for the rights to Joe Barry Carroll. That was my favorite team because they drafted a second round power forward from Alcorn State named Larry Smith. Larry Smith was a rebound monster. Um, I started a fan club for him in the early 80s, and it made the appreciation of basketball change where I started to understand the little nuances of the game. 
and this guy's box score would usually be like all putback shots. So it would be like five from six on the field, 10 points, um, 14 rebounds, maybe a block. He didn't have mad hops or anything, but just hard nose player. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Larry Smith. I don't, Kevin, do you? I don't. Okay. (laughs) So he played nine years for Golden State. Then he was traded to Houston um, and played alongside alongside Olajuwon and Otis Thorpe. Olajuwon got injured and was out for 40 games. And during that span, him and Otis Thorpe went on a tear where Larry Smith was averaging 20 rebounds a game during that stretch. And that was like his first time he got coverage in Sports Illustrated, talking about just his menacing rebounding ability. Um, that was my favorite player. Like I worshipped him. I would watch the game with with different, um, you know, through different lenses. Where I was just watching him, what he would do, how he would block out, um, how, how he would position himself on defense. Again, not a big guy, six eight, didn't have mad hops, just smart. Um, and played so hard. And the guy had terrible footwork, couldn't shoot. His free throw, we wore, so our fan club, we would wear hard hats because he was such a bad free throw shooter. It was like to protect us from the bricks he was going to throw up, but also <laughs> his, work, his work ethic as this hardworking player. Um, and we, it became kind of big. They They were playing tequila, like at the end of the third quarter, they would always play tequila, the instrumental song by the champs. And at that time, the Pee Wee Herman movie had come out and he would do that little dance in the movie. And there was like a group of 10 of us and we're this little fan club and we just started doing it during, after the, when they started playing the music after the third quarter. And it kind of like the, the arena started to take notice and it would build. And then next thing you know, like the Warriors, people who were working in the Warriors promotion would start to come up to us and go, here, if you guys, we'll give you free tickets as long as you guys do this at every game. And we did it for like a full year. They just give us tickets and we would do this dance and it just kind of grew and grew. It was very strange just being a high school kid and it was a lot of fun. They were terrible. But it was a lot of fun. No, that so, kind of reminds Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was about to transition. I, w- I was just recalling uh, my, my own youth with the New Orleans Saints. We haven't really had a whole lot of successful New Orleans Pelicans teams. Uh, we've had the Hornets since 2005 with Chris Paul, but even with him, there, there wasn't a lot of that that I experienced. I was going to recount to the New Orleans Saints when I was a little bit younger. Uh, of course, we always had the hoot at, but in 1991 and 92, I don't know if Kevin will remember this, Cha-Ching was this really big thing where Seth Green was part of this uh, this hamburger commercial and he would do cha-ching every time somebody would order a hamburger and they would play it uh, inside the Superdome and everybody would start doing cha-ching and then Ricky Jackson would get a sack and he would do the big cha-ching and it got to be so big that they actually called Seth Green in to our playoff game, I think against the Atlanta Falcons before the game to do his patented cha-ching thing. But it's a small like little cult thing just like that, that uh, really like solidifies your your love for your hometown team, even though necessarily it's it's not like, you know, bringing in a Kevin Durant or in our case, bringing in a DeMarcus Cousins. It really like solidifies this, this special nostalgic feeling in your heart of, oh my gosh, I was a part of that. Um, so I totally get exactly what you're talking about. Kevin, do you have anything like that to add? Do you remember the cha-ching? I do remember the cha-ching. Um, one thing I was going to say is I have like a nostalgic thing about the tequila song, which is kind of funny. Um, 
when I was when I was in elementary school. I remember I remember this so clearly. I can hardly remember anything. My memory is terrible, but I can remember this event so clearly. It was a school function. I was like in second grade, and our school band was the worst band you'll ever hear in your life. Like, so we're there, we're gathered. They start playing this crazy ambient noise sound that I would maybe be into at this age, you know, like, wow, this is kind of crazy, you know, <laughs> like uh, some sort of noise rock band going on. And then all of a sudden there was quiet and then a tiny little voice just yelled out tequila. And then it all started again, uh, this total chaos. But um, that was not tequila. Tequila is the song that unites all nations, ethnicities, and creeds. Okay, we have gone on for 15 minutes, and we haven't talked current everyday basketball, New Orleans Pelicans versus Golden State Warriors. Let's get to the action before we get uh, through any more of our shenanigans. Uh, New Orleans home opener is tonight. We're recording this on a Thursday night at the Smoothie King Center for the third year in a row, I believe. Uh, March 3rd of this year, 2017, in a loss to the Bulls, was the first time the Warriors had lost back-to-back games in 146 games. So in all likelihood, they're not going to do it again, having lost to the Rockets on Tuesday, 122-121, to in a thriller in which, when I was watching, I, I thought that ball went in. I thought Kevin Durant had released the ball. He usually gets rid of the ball so quickly, I just didn't think there was any chance that it was still on his fingertips, but it was. They ended up losing. Uh, however, the Warriors will be down Draymond Green, who is listed as doubtful after an MRI revealed no structural damage, according to Chris Haynes. Mike, how much does the loss of Draymond affect the Warriors? And do the Pelicans have a chance without your, I guess, spiritual leader? Draymond is the Draymond is my favorite player on the Warriors. Without Draymond Green, I don't, the engine doesn't doesn't tick the same. Um, I do think they have a chance. The Pelicans have a chance, especially without Draymond Green. Um, I guess it just depends on the. I mean, how is it going with Demarcus and 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 Anthony? Are are they? Seems like they're buddies <laughs> off the court and on the court. Is I'll that a, is that a? Yeah, I'll take this one before we turn it over to Kevin. Um, AD and Boogie, by all accounts, have worked together wonderfully. Just on uh, on Wednesday, they combined for 61 points and I think 28 rebounds. And just uh, last year after the All-Star break, Anthony Davis uh, kept right around his average of 29 and 11. And DeMarcus Cousins was down in points a little bit, but he was still at 24 and 12 with Anthony Davis. So these guys play well together. The problem is... With these two guys in the middle, you know, taking every rebound and, and taking most of the shots, it's kind of it's it's hindered the ball movement of all the other players in this last respective game. Drew Holiday had four points. The the bench had eight points, I think, combined. Wow. Uh, the bench won a combined three of nine. Um, our starting small forward, Dante Cunningham, scored seven points. Our our third leading scorer was Etwan Moore, if you know who he is, with eleven points. Um, so basically everybody's just doing a lot of ball watching right now. And these guys aren't, you know, Carmelo Anthony, these, these guys do like to move the ball. I guess it's just a matter of everybody else having the courage to actually take a shot. So the way that we stack up well is you guys are stacked on the wing, but without Draymond Green, you've got Zaza Pachulia and I don't know, Kevin Looney, who are going to, you know, attempt to slow down Anthony Davis to market. DeMarcus Cousins so that's what I would think would be our ultimate advantage but the problem is like is it is it going to be enough Kevin why don't you chime in here yeah I mean I even without Draymond it's going to be a really deep challenge for the Pelicans I mean the good thing is our strength 
is definitely their weakness with with Draymond off the court. Um, I think you're going to see Kevin Durant have to guard Anthony Davis. Um, and if we can get him in foul trouble trying to guard Anthony Davis, that will also help. But, you know, we're definitely going to have to crash the glass against them, go after every offensive rebound, and um, and just pound them and try to get to the line because our two big guys shoot free throws well. If we can live at the line, then we have a shot. But other than that, you know, those two have great chemistry. I think they work fine together. I just, you know, we, we just had a, a – like a very depressing podcast with our uh, other writer, Jamile, about last night's game against Memphis. And, you know, the Drew Holiday thing has just been a nightmare. I don't, we don't know what he is and he doesn't know what he is, but I can tell you what he isn't. And that is, he's not a scorer you can count on. And we need another guy to step up and score. And I don't see Holiday doing that especially if he's tasked with uh, running around guarding Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, and he's going to be on one of those two. Um, so I'm hoping maybe Etwan Moore will step up, be a little bit more aggressive because, you know, I think he can shoot the ball. And I think, like I, I said, he, I think he's a great finisher around the room. He's got a great floater game. So if we can get him moving towards the basket, coming off of uh, boogie operating out of the elbow, finding him on cuts, things like that. I think, you know, that's really our only hope, but we definitely need, some scoring and some bench production. We need uh, Jordan Crawford to be the Jordan Crawford we had towards the end of last season where he was, you know, very productive shooting the three and uh, driving to the hoop and creating plays for other people. Mike, let me we ask had, you this. We had Jordan Crawford for a little bit. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> uh, that was, that was uh, I think that was his last stop before he went overseas. He spent some training camps with the the Bulls and the – the Dallas Mavericks, but the Warriors was the last place he played official basketball. And I think his highest scoring game ever came with the Warriors. I think he scored something around 36 points. Anyway, that was like back in 2014. Let me ask you this, Mike. Um, uh, Pelicans fans have to be hoping that Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson kind of kind of cancel each other out. Like, you know, maybe the three combined for 70 points for each squad. And then after that, there's going to be some combination of Andre Iguodala, Nick Young, Zaza, Patrick McCaw, Omri Caspi, David West, and Sean Livingston going head-to-head with our guys, you know, Dante Cunningham, Etwan Moore, Jordan Crawford, this mismatch of, of players. How well do you expect your reserves to play? How many points should we expect from them? And when your second units come in, like early in the second, maybe led by Clay Thompson, just how... How dynamic are they, or is there any kind of drop-off where the Pels can hope this is our time to come back and get in this game? Yeah, I don't see. I mean, they're so stacked. I feel like from 1 to 10, they're stacked. I feel like their second unit could be a starting five, a, a playoff starting five. I mean, when Sean Livingston is like your ninth guy, I mean, I, there were, if you watch the game, the, the opener against Houston, Kerr played everybody. I think he's just trying to find the rotation. I think the only hope for the Pelicans is really if Kerr continues to find, let's say they find the Pelicans find a lot of success with Cousins and, and Davis just being so dominant on the boards where they just can't, where they're just getting offensive rebounds, easy buckets, and the Warriors fall behind, maybe a double-digit deficit, and he starts playing with that lineup trying to find some way to stop it. If the Warriors are shooting well, I mean, you can't, you just can't stop it. Is there... <laughs> Any potential chance, and maybe I'll throw this over to Kevin uh, as well. We'll start with Mike. 
Is there any chance that we see like a double big for big lineup where maybe on a second unit we see JaVale McGee matched up against Anthony Davis and Zaza, sort of a, kind of like the frustrating guy who's so good at getting into to Marcus Cousins' head? Is there any yeah. potential chance that we'll see those two big guys on the floor at the same time? Uh, it's funny you say, you should say that because before the start, I thought, I wonder if they'll play JaVale against, uh, maybe he'll play against Davis and then, Zaza will again bother Demarcus. Zaza, I mean, obviously, you look at Zaza and you go, "Oh, this guy's terrible." But Zaza's a good player. If you look at the finals, he was in the game, and McGee Javel was not playing because he just didn't understand the concepts that Steve Kerr was trying to um, put together. And so Zaza is a rock. He he can't jump. He just he knows how to play dirty. <laughs> he and he just plays hard, and he's he's like an oak tree. Um, but yeah, I wonder. I wonder if they'll. I guess if they if they have find success with a small lineup, because Iguodala is going to be back for this game, maybe they'll just go small. Maybe uh, like you said, like Kevin was saying, having Durant have to play the four. Yeah, and David West, I just can't see any any world in which David West can match up with Anthony Davis anymore. Maybe you can put no. his his strength and his body against DeMarcus Cousins, but even then, uh, yeah. Cousins just has such size, and he's just known for just rolling over these guys into the, yeah. into the hoop. Who are you afraid of? I'm going to throw this to Kevin. Who are you afraid of from the Warriors being matched up against Anthony and DeMarcus Cousins the most? Um, I mean, I think uh, Durant, obviously, is I mean he's he's proven to be a, a very solid defender, versatile defender, and he's you know he's taller than uh, or or about the same height as, as uh, Anthony Davis. And then he's gonna if Anthony Davis has to guard him on offense, he's gonna be wearing him out a little bit there. Um, and he's he's a good shot blocker, you know he's got good instincts on that. So I think that's his toughest matchup, especially if it means that Davis has to guard him, uh, which is basically impossible to guard him he can shoot over anybody i mean i've used seen him take incredible shots where he's he's totally covered and it's like nothing just goes in um so you know he's going to be wearing davis down um i was thinking with your initial question to mike uh i don't think we'll see mcgee and and uh zaza together on the court but i think you'll see david west and uh, McGee together on the court uh, where David West can, can use his body against uh, Cousins, but Cousins will destroy him. I, I always thought David West was a much overrated defender. Um, I never really bought that whole tough guy, uh, Ray Lewis kind of thing that I've heard people say about him before. Um, but the thing is, he can he's still got a great mid-range jumper, so that helps them with spacing and stuff like that although i mean they have incredible spacing anyway because all the other guys can shoot um but it'll at least keep the paint less cramped when they're on the offensive end um but one of my biggest x factors in this game is the fact that i'm super happy that nick young got his good game in because <laughs> i i don't think he's gonna be that good this week, but I, I mean, uh, on Friday, but I think he's going to think he is, and he's going to be taking a lot of shots. So I, I'm happy about that. I think that could be a thing that, that hurts them, you know, um, but that, that's my take on that. Mike, um, we all saw a good bit of Patrick McCaw in the finals last year. Um, how healthy is Omri Caspi right now? And tell us what you've seen from Jordan Bell. 
Well, with Caspi, it doesn't seem like Caspi, no matter where he plays, he's always injured. I feel like he's always been, he was injured on the Kings, and then when he got traded, for you guys, playing for you guys, didn't he get injured right away last sure year? Sure did. He yeah. broke his hand his first game. And then, like, okay, first game here, sprained his ankle. Um, uh, so I, I don't, I don't, Caspi, I don't know. That's, I know that the writers here feel like, oh, he, this is a steal for the Warriors. This is like a, this is a, a bona fide NBA player that's taking a lot less money to play on a winner. Uh, McCaw is a stud. I like McCaw a lot. Um, homegrown draft pick, uh, great defender. God, he looks like he's like 16 years old. <laughs> uh, seems like a shot. He's got a shot down even more. I mean, he played a lot of minutes as a as a rookie last year. Um, so I th- I think he he's gonna be he's gonna be a great asset to the team. He's gonna get a lot of minutes. He was first off the bench, I believe, um, on Tuesday. Also, Jordan Bell. I don't know enough. You know, it's hard to tell after one game. Um, again, there's just such a backlog of these young, talented, athletic um, players. I know Bell is supposed to be a good defender. We'll see. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it if I was a Pelicans fan. I mean, I'd be actually hoping that, that these young guys play for the Warriors so the Pelicans can take advantage of their, their youth. All right, Mike, before we get you uh, going in on Asian Man Records, I just want to get a prediction from you. Obviously, the Warriors don't lose two games in a row uh, very often, and going into a season 0-2 would certainly feel unfamiliar for these guys. What is your prediction, and do the Pelicans have a chance at home? You know, I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to say Pelicans upset. Wow. One Pelicans 118, Warriors 115. And then everyone's going to be – and everyone's going to be – going crazy like what's wrong with the Warriors and then the Warriors will go on some crazy streak after that this I know is, what this is the time for the Pelicans to pull off a win I know for everybody everybody's in total and complete despair in New Orleans last uh last night watching the game uh you just had this, this stream of people Drew Holiday is going to be the worst contract in the NBA why is Alvin Gentry still in New Orleans just all these things we need a point guard you know get rid of Jordan Crawford now bring in Jameer Nelson so so a win against the Warriors would certainly help put us back on the right course. And the first couple of games of the season, uh, you know, you just can't you can't help to expect anything. Kevin, what's your take on this? Uh, I don't I don't think we'll win this game. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you know the Warriors are going to come out. I I I forgot what I predicted in our last podcast when we sort of went glazed over this game, but um, you know I think Warriors one fifteen. Pelicans, uh, 99, 100, something like that. I think we'll keep it close for three quarters and wear down and uh, fade. Um, one thing I would like to ask Mike real quick is, if you were a GM, would you hire Alvin Gentry as a coach? Well, not at this point. You've I mean, <laughs> I mean, had two seasons with him. Obviously, he had the success with the Warriors, but I mean, he, he hasn't had a lot of talent to use. I was a fan of of Williams as a coach too, um, so I, I I don't know. What do you what do you think? Has he had enough talent to work with to to be judged at this point? It's like well, I think this is the year, his third year, and with two superstars, we'll see how he does. 
Well, the argument in favor of Alvin Gentry is that his first year as a coach in 2016 or 15, uh, rather, the Pelicans had a record in astounding 346 games missed due to injury. Um, it's just been this hilarious, like beginning. I, I can't even remember the guys who were starting games for the Pelicans, the opening weeks of both last year and the year before we had like Lance Stevenson and Tim Frazier was our second leading scorer for the first three weeks of the season. And last year we still had significant amount of injuries, but Anthony Davis was primarily healthy for the, the season. He played 75 games, which was his highest ever, but he left about a a dozen games early where they would precautionary measures, you know, take him out of the game. But in Alvin Gentry's defense, the first 12 games of the season, no Drew Holiday. And then we get Drew Holiday for about, I don't know, 25, 30 games. And then we trade for DeMarcus Cousins. We get rid of Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, Buddy Heald. Nobody is there to space the floor anymore. Instead, you're clogging the middle of the floor. And Alvin Gentry is just constantly being asked to redesign, redevelop uh, with the players that he has available on the floor. And likewise, heading into the summer, he preached, I can't, I can't remember how many times we need shooters, we need shooters, we need shooters. And then we started bringing in these guys like, um, you know, Darius Miller, Rajon Rondo, Ian Clark, um, and Tony Allen. And all of a sudden, the dialogue started changing and it started saying, oh, we need guys with IQ. We need guys with veteran leadership. And you can't help but wonder, are Alvin Gentry and general manager Dell Demps on the same side right now? Or are they just literally taking whatever they can get their hands on? So I do feel for Alvin Gentry. I don't think it's totally his fault. But I know that Kevin does. And I'm going to let Kevin explain it for you. Well, for me, like I've always like considered Alvin Gentry to be basketball's North Turner. Like he, he goes to a team as an assistant coach and their offense looks great and people want to hire him and he comes out and just ends up flat. You know, I, I hear him. He talks a lot of talk and, and he talks about movement, off the ball movement and, you know, running through screens, shooting breeze and all of this stuff. And I don't see movement in his offense for, for two and a half years. Uh, you know, like I, I was saying the other day, like I thought when he came here, I'd see Eric Gordon running off the ball through screens, getting open, people finding him. I thought the same thing when we got Buddy Heald, that would happen. But it was just a lot of standing around and looking. Um, you know, I thought we should have like, you know, sort of dotted dashed lines like a family circus comic where like you see where the kids had gone through the house kind of thing. If you looked at movement, instead we just got a bunch of Google pins. You know, there's nothing happening. Um and then the way he uses Anthony Davis to me it was was bad before Cousins came here. He was trying to get him to shoot a lot of threes. He was getting him to post up. He was posting him up far, kind of far from the basket. Um, he's not a he's not a back to the basket player. He's a face up. He's a face up big man. He's got a good jump jump shot, but he doesn't have a three point shot. He had him migrating away from the basket, not crashing the offensive glass. And then even last year we got Demarcus Cousins. It was still not crashing we weren't focusing on crashing the offensive glass then he was running like five out sets where everybody all five players are behind a three-point line and we have these two seven-foot monsters out there behind the line not even one down there to get a rebound or to punish somebody in the post so while he definitely has injury excuses when you could when you see how he handles his star player and he has them playing out of his strength like, sure, Anthony Davis has become a very dynamic player, and he probably can shoot the three, and he will develop that. He hasn't had a good three-point percentage yet in his career, and I believe he can because he has a great 20-foot 20, 20 jumper. Um, but 
he can totally dominate a little bit closer to the basket. And that's, that's my point is like, you have these great guys that are elite at certain things. And while yes, you're maybe making them a little bit more well-rounded, you're taking them away from what makes them truly elite and you're not, and it's trickling down causing other problems and you're just like minimizing the impact that these guys can have. They're still going to have great seasons because they're great players, but the team isn't going to be as good as it could be. It's like, it's like you win in spite of the coach. And that's frustrating for me. Um, so, so like I've never been a fan of his and I really don't like the way he's handled Anthony Davis and our big men. And also, you know, like you said, like maybe it was a talent thing. Maybe these guys don't know, but Eric Gordon was standing still when, in the corner when he was here. And what, now he's in Houston. He's running through screens. He's running around. He's, he's, uh, he's running off of cuts, baseline cuts, finishing in transition. You know, maybe he's happier there. Sure. But if was he, was he injured play. at all with the Pelicans? Cause he, yeah, he did yeah. nothing. Yeah, I'm 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 going to step in here because uh, Eric Gordon, one, he was chronically injured with the Pelicans. He was always talking about how he didn't want to be here. He preferred to be with the Clippers, and then he preferred to be with the Suns. And then, you know, we matched his offer, which I think was a four-year, $58 million deal. But everybody talks about uh, Eric Gordon because he was the sixth man of the year. But Eric Gordon does not play that well for the Houston Rockets. He came out hot last year. And then the remainder of the year, he shot something like 34% from three-point range. And really, Lou Williams kind of did a better job of being Eric Gordon when he was in Houston. But I don't know what his first game was like. Uh, I didn't I didn't really watch too much of the opening night uh, Golden State-Houston Rockets game. It was pretty game. good in that game. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty good. I mean, my point was, like, <laughs> I understand that his numbers look the same, but you watch the way he played running off the screen. My point was, like, not so much that he was a much better player in Houston. It was just that the things that we hear Gentry say that he wants to do, Eric Gordon was doing in Houston, but he wasn't doing them here. And so, like, all these people are saying, like, oh, we don't have the guys that have the IQ to be able to do this and uh, know when to cut and all that. But, you, like, he's an example of a guy who went to another team that that was the, that was the mandate, and he's doing that. And whether his numbers are – are basically the same or not. He's doing the thing that, that Alvin Gentry says that he wants him to do, but we never saw him do it in games. So that's what I'm saying is like, we hear, when we hear uh, some of the stuff Gentry says, it's like stuff I agree with. Like I agree with the, the idea of a free, free flow, freelance transition. You know, we have the big second that can get the rebound, start the break, run it fast. They don't have to make a pass. They can, they can, they can bring it up because they have the ball handling skills to do that. They can charge the rim or they could kick out all that. They have that ability. And I like that a lot. But when we get in half court sets, why am I having my, my two seven footers out by the three point line? You know, why is nobody moving? Uh, it's just, uh, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, again, last night out of timeouts, out of timeouts were terrible. All last season out of timeouts were terrible. I've never seen a team be so bad out of timeouts that I saw last year, and that's, that's troubling, you know. Um, my problem with Monty Williams was that he would always take too long to set up a play, but when he ran a play, it was, it was great. And, like, he – and I didn't like that he slowed things down in transition, but why can't we have, like, a combination of that? And that's what my fantasy is. My fantasy is, is what Gentry wants in transition and then what we saw from Finch's offense and Denver in the half court. And – I hope that we develop into that, but 
first game, we saw a little bit of that in the first quarter, and then it just went away, and that can't happen. All right, now we have thoroughly educated Mike Park on the New Orleans Pelicans on this Golden State Warriors preview. I hope you got enough information, Mike, to know what to expect on Friday. Uh, but let's let's move on to you, buddy. Uh, you're involved in social justice and have been making politically charged music for a very long time. I'm getting all this information from Kevin Chiman whenever you're feeling it, bud. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, political like charged songs recently, celebrities taking shots at the government. Um, and at Trump, uh, I just watched something by Sarah Silverman and Jimmy Kimmel has been outspoken, John Oliver, as well as this big uh, kneeling scandal that's taken the NFL by storm. Give us your views on the current landscape shared between music, sports and politics. And honestly, I don't know about uh, a lot about you at this point. So just tell us a little bit about your role in all of this and what makes you such a proponent for equality. Well, just I, I grew up, I grew up in an affluent area of Northern California. I was one of five persons of color uh, going through the public school system, uh, just dealing with racism on a daily basis. Um, and as a young kid, you don't really know what's going on. Uh, but I, you know, I just remember clearly like wishing I was a white kid. Um, so if you can just imagine those kind of feelings as a young kid, um, uh, it, it sucked. And so as, as I grew older and, and, and realized the importance of my, my culture as a Korean American uh, and being able to accept and, and love who, who I am. Uh, that's when things changed for me. And it, it just made it a, a conscious effort as a young kid. And with my, also with my parenting, that it's important to, to share the ideas of equality. Um, and without being overtly political at the same time, I just want to sh- like lead through examples. Like I just want to be a good person and, and hope those actions are enough. And th- so that's how I, I lead my life in terms of like the current landscape of politics with music and sports and how people say, Oh, we'll just stick, stick to sports or stick to your music. You know, you're here to entertain us. I, I just call bullshit on that. I feel like this is their platform. And that's, it's funny because I've hated LeBron James with a passion for so long, especially when, when he went to Miami, but I love him now just because of his political stance and the way he's taken on the president and his voice, his displeasure with, with police brutality and, and um, just being God, having that much influence on youth. Um, I'm a fan now and, and every, everything, everybody, everybody who, who disagrees with the, the people kneeling. I mean, I just, I don't understand how, it's a negative. They're, they're not doing, it's such a peaceful protest. I could understand if it was anarchists who were destroying property to get their message across, which I don't agree with, but this peaceful protest, I think there's not a better way to share their ideas than by do and get the, the conversation going by doing what they're doing. Mike, tell us a little bit more about your music, uh, your company, Asian Man Records. Tell us about how it got started. Tell us a little bit more about some of uh, your bands that you, I, I've actually uh, seen less than Jake in concert. So I was like, oh, I know who they are. Tell us a little bit about them. What what excites you about them and what kind of stuff you've got coming down the pipeline? Uh, well, so you know, I just like every young kid who plays music as a teenager, you I started in garage bands and then I had this 
when you're young, you're like, oh, I'm going to be a rock star. But then as I got more involved in punk and the, the, the philosophy of punk and re- finding out about these other labels like Discord Records, which was is out of D.C., um, SST, which is out of L.A., and realizing these are all labels that are run by bands. Uh, Discord being run by Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, SST, which is Greg Ginn from Black Flag. And so I thought, well, they're doing it themselves and that kind of DIY mentality start to started to form. So that's how I got involved in running deciding to run the label. It's like I don't need someone to sign me. I can do it myself, put my future in my own hands. And that's what I did. Um so gosh, I've been doing it for so long now. We're go- as, as Asian men, we're going on twenty two years as a company, but before that I I started a band in the late 80s, and we had our own label. So I've been doing this for over 30 years now, and um, it's it's fun. I still feel very fresh. We still are working with a lot of new bands who are who I feel get it, understand what we're trying to do, um, understand the philosophy of punk we're trying to instill. Um, so it's still it's still fresh and energizing for me, even as I near 50 years old. That um, I can still um, be involved in this industry in ethical ways. Now, you say on your website, by the way, you guys can check out all this information on AsianManRecords.com. Uh, I'm looking at the About section right now. You like being a little label. You just mentioned that you you like not having to ask people for permission to create music. You like to do it yourself, but you also want to just be about the music. You don't want to like branch out and become one of these mega labels that are, I don't know, all about money or or have some agenda that they need to push. Talk about why you like the size and and uh, I guess the power uh, we'll say of creating your own stuff and why you don't want to push to the next level. That's just the, the music business is corrupt. I guess like mo- by, like most businesses, as you get bigger, it's just you deal with a lot of corruption and it's like, well, who? If you rub my back, I'll rub your back. Like I just don't, I don't care. I I just want to make my own rules and so. I don't, I don't do the music conferences. I don't go to CMJ in New York or South by Southwest in, in Austin um, or Midham in Germany. It's just like, I don't care. We do what we do. We run this all out of my parents' garage. Um, and we've, I've never taken any classes on how to do this. These are all my own rules. And we've sold well over a million units in, in this little garage. And I take a lot of pride in that. Now, you guys, if you want to check out their touring schedule, Andrew Jackson Jihad has tours going all the way uh, through the mid of December. Do you want to talk about them at all? They actually have changed their name to AJJ, to be more politically correct. But okay. great band. <laughs> great band. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, it's uh, acoustic, like folk punk is what they call it. Uh, it's acoustic guitar, stand-up, double bass. Um, they're from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, they're big Suns fans, <laughs> and um, great band. Also, great people. An important factor with Asian Man is not you can be a great band, but if I if you're if you're an asshole, I just don't want to work with you. Like I'd rather work with good people and lose money than work with work with mean people. So it's like it's an important ingredient is you've got to be good people. Kevin, why don't you get on in here um, and ask some questions that you've been yearning to perhaps ask Mike uh, for a while now. Sure. Um, Mike, I think you and I both, we we sort of like worshipped at the Church of Fugazi growing up. You know, that was sort of like how we based our, you know, 
our, our lifestyle. And like, as I'm getting older, I realize I'm very happy that I did that, but I'm also realize how much of, you know, how much that has affected my, uh, my bank account, you know, living that sort of life, um, <laughs> you know, where you, where you definitely not trying to sell out and all of that, um, and, and putting ethics and, uh, and those things before, you know, like I could be a graphic designer working for a big company, making a lot of money, but I don't want to make a bunch of advertising to, to make people feel bad about themselves and to buy things to satisfy their needs or buy a bunch of stuff that they don't want that then is going to be wasted and not decompose in a landfill and create all these other problems. And all of that stems from like getting into minor thread and Fugazi at an early age. Do you, you feel kind of the same way you're like, where you're like proud of it, but sometimes you're like, man, you know, I probably could uh, be living a lot uh, more relaxed than I am now. Well, I, maybe I should, but the, the fact is, we we've done really well as a company, even at this level. So the financial burden is never there for, for me. Um, so no, I've never felt that way. Cause we've done so well. It's just you, so, Kevin, you're the only one living in, in poverty right well, now. <laughs> yeah, cause, Cause Mike made it. I have, <laughs> but, um, uh, no, the, another thing I wanted to ask you too, is like, uh, I find it in, you know, cause we're both also getting older and we both got, uh, very heavily involved in this when we we're much younger and pre way pre internet, you know, and it, back then when we first got started, you know, you, I remember like when I started booking shows, I just looked at, I got bands records that I liked. They used to have their home address in the in the record or sometimes even their phone home phone uh home phone number and i would like hand write them a letter or call them and be like hey if you ever want to come to new orleans i got a show book for you all of this and uh you know so we started to build networks like that they would come in and they would have all their friends bands records they would you know trade rec trade records and you learn about all this stuff that way and it was like this really cool like close-knit community um but I've kind of like sort of migrated a little bit out of the music world. I, I'm still into it and I still do things here and there, but I'm not as, you know, I'm not booking shows and things like that anymore. Um, although I am about to go on a tour with a band, but um, it's, uh, I, I want to know what it's like now with all of this, you know, is it easier to find bands uh, with the, with the ease that they have of just putting everything online and you can just find anything online or is that oversaturation harder to cut through than when, you know, somebody, when you saw a band that you liked that was sleeping on your living room floor that night, cause they played, you know, some show you set up at the local bar, um, you know, they play you their friend's band or leave you a couple of records. Is, is it easier to find bands now with the, the internet wave or was it easier back then? Uh, easier now, by yeah. least and bound. As a consumer, the the accessibility of a streaming device like Spotify is unbelievable. That you can find any song in existence almost by just typing it in and then listening to a high quality MP3 is unbelievable. I love it. Um, also, the, those DIY shows that people set up that you were setting up when you were younger, it still happens. So. Even though I'm old, I still go to these house shows, these underground um, 
punk shows because I'm still involved in the, in this business, and I see some great bands that way. Yeah, it's got to be uh, a lot less awkward too, uh, having to have somebody perform in front of you when you can just watch them on YouTube now. Kind of uh, cuts that that ice for you, that tension. Um, Mike, is there is there anything else you want to add to to plug yourself to some of our listeners to check out uh, your label and some up and coming? We mentioned the tours. Is there anything else that you want to drop for the people listening right now? Nothing about myself, you know. I'm just I was just more excited than more than anything. I just wanted to talk basketball. <laughs> oh, and look at us. We've spent the last 15 minutes leading you away from what we brought you on here to do. Thank you again. Thank you to Mike Park. You could not be more gracious in spending your time uh, with us. And thank you so much to everyone listening. Again, you can follow Mike Park at Mike Park Music and at Asian Man Records. Of course, AsianManRecords.com is the website. You can follow Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce. I am Preston Ellis at Preston Ellis. And I want to tell you a bit about what we've got coming. In the next three to four days, we will have interviews with two experts from the Lakers and the Blazers, as well as Rory Calais of Locked On Pels. I hope I said that right. Brendan Clean of Bourbon Street Shots. And hopefully next week, we're going to have rock stars Mike Prada of SB Nation, Justin Barrier of The Ringer, and D. Scott Alexander of Primetime Sports. Fingers crossed. So stick with us, kids. The season is just getting started. And we'll have you covered every step of the way. Um, Kevin, you want to talk a bit about what we've got at thebirdrights.com coming up since Ollie's not here? Um, sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'll definitely have some uh, recaps and previews coming up for all those games, surely. Um, I'm currently about to get started on um, an Etwan Moore season preview, um, which I have already done the Omar Ashik and the Anthony Davis. I was kind of waiting on Etwan Moore to see, you know, if he was going to be the starting two guard. And then my sister's wedding came and kind of postponed that. So I'm going to dive into that in the next couple of days. And, uh, I'm not sure what Ollie has up his sleeve, um, so we'll have to wait for him to jump on and tell us that. That sister of yours is so selfish. Um, well, you guys, stick tuned to us. A bit of news. We are now on Dash Radio, so you guys can find us there. Again, thank you, Mike. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time, and we've got two more matchups this year, so hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again. That would be great. Love to talk hoops. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you to you guys, and let's go Pels. Thanks again, Pelicans fans. Again, you are listening to the BirdRights.com's podcast on Dash Radio. Find more on iTunes by searching the BirdRights colon NBA podcast and find our source material at the BirdRights.com. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send him my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi! So, about the kitchen. Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.